to the Batmobile. Let's go. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Rogers, ready to move out. Holy smokes, Batman. It's Gaggle of Geeks on 2SER. Ah, it's Gaggle of Geeks times. It's honks. I'm going to try not do a geese thing <laughs> this week. Oh, that's really good because I was about to say, were those geese on like a, like a two-second delay? They felt like they came in later than normal. <laughs> I don't know maybe why. Maybe slightly. Or maybe I was just so excited in anticipation of them. It just felt like oh. it took them forever to arrive. It's like, where are they? Where are the geese? We miss the geese. We must have the geese. Unleash the geese. <laughs> <laughs> but this is gaggle of Geeks, uh, a podcast about pop culture and geek culture. I'm Sophie Lai. I'm Tali Olatia. And if you're a geek, then this was, it's not even Christmas in July. (laughs) It really is, isn't it? It's been... It's Christmas in October. I know. It's like, why wait two months till Christmas? Why Mm. not just do it now? Mm. Like, just get really excited and then make people wait for two months till real Christmas. By... It, what we are talking about, of course, is New York Comic Con. Yes. So second biggest con after San Diego, mm-hmm. where it feels like San Diego, it's where they kind of drop all the movie news now. Yeah. And then New York's now kind of dominating more the TV properties. TV. Yeah. Which makes sense because there are a lot of TV shows out mm. there at the moment. So rather than try and compete with each other and be like TV and film at the same time, if you can kind of diverge mm. and be like, this is for the films, this is for the TV, like yeah. everyone wins. Everyone wins. Exactly. The fans win. The f- well, the fans <laughs> have definitely won. So many trailers dropped. So so many. Where do you want to start? That is such a good question. Where do you want to start? Were there any surprises? Were there anyone where anyone went, oh my God, that trailer, I wasn't expecting that? Or were people just generally? I think the Sabrina trailer. Ah, the Sabrina trailer. What wild world did I live in where I thought Melissa Joan Hart had me fooled for years Mm. because Sabrina the Teenage Witch, as played by Melissa Joan Hart for like 12,000 years, seemed to be more of a nice witch who like... She would deal with normal teenage issues. Her aunts, like, you know, they were very nice. They were a bit scattered brained, but nice nonetheless. It was more of a fun comedy and her witch power was obviously something that she did. It was a family sitcom. Yeah, but she was like, I would say 80% human, Mm. 20% witch. Yeah. So like did her magic spells when she needed to. They often got her into trouble. Then it all solved itself. Like, yeah, 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 fun, 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 fun. The trailer for the new Sabrina is dark and it is like a hundred percent witch. And it was to the point that at like I clicked on it, I was like, oh, it's Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And like her name was Sabrina. I was like, oh, great. Mm. Oh, it's really dark. And then it like started of like in both the TV show and in this show, obviously. Mm. Um, it starts on Sabrina's 16th birthday where she finds out she's a witch. Um, the Melissa Joan Hart one was just more of a happy transition. This one was very dark. There seemed to be seances. There seemed to be summonings of all sorts of it's creatures. It's and proper Wicca, hasn't it? Totally and utterly Wicca. Um, and, yeah, as I was watching it, I was like, is this the Sabrina that I am used to? It was like, no, it is so much darker. Mm, and at the same time, you're like, wow, Kian and Shipka has grown up so much since the days of Mad Men. 
<laughs> it's just like every yeah. It's ah, uh, I just. Uh, I have no words because I'm still it's kind like, of Is that in shock. Sally Draper? That cannot be Sally Draper. Is she, why does she have blood all over her? <laughs> it was just very dark. It like, was so I think dark. that that's obviously I mean, what we can expect. But. Yeah, because it's by the producers of Riverdale. Yeah, yeah. And when you think of Riverdale, the comics, you think happy-go-lucky kind of yeah. S kind of vibe. And Sabrina's based, um, it's in the same universe yeah. in a way. Um, but yeah, they kind of like, you know, went with that Twin Peaks um, feel for Riverdale. Mm. Yeah. And now they're like, all right, we're just going to go super, super wicker with Sabrina. It's like, whoa, calm down, guys. Well, this was the other funny thing is like mm. on the TV show, you, they only really knew like two real other witches, which were her aunts, Zelda yeah. and Hilda. But in the trailer, it was like, everyone's a witch. It seems so. And that's why I was like, oh, this is this is strange. This is this is different, but it also makes sense because why would there only be three witches? Cat. Salem. Mm. Yeah. Where is where is my sassy Salem? <laughs> well, see, this is what's funny is like we were talking off air and I was like, where was Harvey? Where was Libby? And you were like, no, Harvey was there. They were running through the woods. And I think I was so traumatized that I just <laughs> missed it. He was like in the opening shot. And oh. She's like, see you later, Harvey. See, I think at that point I was like, this is not happy. What is with this dark mooding? It's very, mm. very like emotive grey. Like there's mm. not going to be any pops of fluorescent colours or bright no. colours. But the only bright colour is dark. like red. Yeah, really? blood red. Blood red. Blood red. Yeah, that look. I was I was shook. I'm quite. I'm still keen to see it because yeah. I'm going to be. I'm thinking like you know while these trailers are super super dark, mm. they'll be like. I'm really hoping for moments of levity where you're just like, what? Because come it? on, yeah. Yeah. it's set with magic in the world of Riverdale yeah. and teen drama. Yeah, it was very <laughs> like craft reminiscent, mm. like the Nev Campbell movie. When <laughs> I could imagine, Classic yeah, Nev Campbell movie. I could imagine her like with the chokers and being very nineties. Mm. Yeah, witchcraft. So see, even that was funny at yeah. stages. So well, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's. Mm. I think the good thing about the trailer, it is now prepared a lot of people for the TV show when it drops. So people are not going to go in there going, oh, it's going to be like the you know the show that I watched when I was a teenager (laughs) it's like no Sabrina has grown up and I think that now we will be more prepared to watch it knowing that it is going to be darker yeah I think that was the one that shocked me the most I was really interested to see the first look at good omens though yes yes (laughs) I was like there were literally so many trailers that I was like, was that the one with the like the apocalypse and the two fighting? I There was a lot of comedy in that, which yeah. I liked. Mm. It's like the world's ending, but it's there. Well, it's based, it's based on the book by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. Mm. And the premise is um, you have an, like an angel from heaven and a demon from hell working yep. together because a few years back they tried – to, you know, avoid the apocalypse by kidnapping the child of Satan Naturally. and placing it with a normal family. Yep. Okay. So a bit of a baby switcheroo. They <laughs> got the Harry wrong... Potter-like. It is. But they got the wrong baby. Oh. So what baby did they get? <laughs> normal kid who's like... They swap the normal kid with the normal kid out and this normal kid is like, why is everyone trying to treat me like I'm the son of Satan? I've got no powers. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So. Wow. It, so 
that in itself that, is a comedy. Yeah, I was like, that is hella inherently and comedic. so, yeah, it's them trying to find this kid and stop the apocalypse. And while this kid's just trying to get on with life, it's like, why does weird stuff keep happening around me? Oh. Yeah. So the little kid has no powers. Well, I think you follow both kids because they did a switcheroo. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's like Parent Trap. But, like, <laughs> otherworldly Parent Trap. I haven't trap. read it in a very long time. Oh. But, yeah, it feels very buddy cop-like. Yeah. I like. I did like the scene where the obviously the good angel like kind of wraps his wing, so he's like in perfect white, and yeah. obviously the bad ones in black, mm. and he just kind of wraps his white wing around in like a nice friendship. And it was like really beautifully shot from behind. So yeah, it was and he was like um, shielding him from the rain yeah. with his wings. Like you both have wings. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was very so sweet. That was that was lovely. But yeah, David Tennant and uh, Michael. What's his name? Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen. Yes. Michael Sheen. So that one was fun. Yeah. But still on um, Neil Gaiman properties. Well, he's pretty much got an exclusive deal with Amazon because Good Omens is coming yeah. out on Amazon. But they, were, they pretty much came up with a statement at New York Comic Con saying, all is fine on the American Gods set. <laughs> Didn't we just talk about that like maybe a few weeks ago? Yeah. Today? Like what's going on? Mm. Like shit has hit the fan. Mm. It's all going to hell. <laughs> It's all right, guys. It's all, look, look, look. Look, trailer, oh, trailer. It's fine. it's fine. It looks pretty. Look, look. And it did. Trailer yeah. looks good. Yeah. And I love that they did do it at New York Comic Con too. Like, mm. I feel that that's the biggest audience that you were going to get mm-hmm. to be like, our uh, ship's still sailing. It's Everything's fine. fine. Yeah. We have a five season, like, plan. We're going to be fine. <laughs> Oh, my God. I love it so much. The other thing I love is, like, I was once in Hobart and Neil Gaiman was right in front of me at this dark mofo event. But the great thing about him is... Of course, because his wife was always performing there, Amanda Palmer. Exactly. But what was so great about it is people who knew who he was, like, lost their shit. (laughs) And everyone else was just like, why do people keep going up to that man in the audience? And he was kind of just, like, mid-thing. I think he was hanging out with Brian Ritchie from The Violent Femmes because, obviously, he was obviously involved in Mona and everything. Mm. And then someone, like, where I was, someone went in, up in there with, like, one of his graphic no- novels and made it made him sign it. And then people were like, is he an author? Who is he? <laughs> is this, like, a J.K. Rowling who walks among, amongst us? What's going on? So He's- I just like that, you know... He's big in the world where he needs to be and yeah. yet can still just kind of live a life of well, quiet he, anonymity when also he needs to. He's, if you follow him on Twitter, um, like every time a flight of his is delayed or whatever, yeah. he'll put out a tweet. He's like, so my flight's been delayed, so I've just gone to the local bookshop at the airport and signed all my books at this one if you want to have a look and pick up a copy. Or, like, his train's been delayed, same thing. He'll just go into, like, the local... Does he have to ask permission from the book people? Surely. I, I, I just wonder what the staff are thinking. That well, this guy what, is well, picking I know. up and signing these and putting them back and just doing it on, on just this one title. Well, that's what I was about to say. They're probably like, um, you writing it, you have to buy it. And he's like, no, guys, I wrote it. See my Freddy. face. Because, yeah. you know, the author's page yeah. is just oh, like him. Handy. <laughs> I've, like, aged probably 30 years. <laughs> like, or you could be, like, me. passport, see, name, name. identified. All, all real. It's all happening. This is now, you could probably charge another $10 if you'd like on this book because it's now signed by the author. Exactly. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Um, but yeah, was there any big things for you from New York Comic Con? Well, the thing, it's going to sound terrible, but what I really liked was 
Aquaman. Mm. And that was like five minutes. Five minutes extended look. It was really, and I think it's one of those things is when you see a lot of something, you're going, I like, because there is the, there is a tendency, I feel, for trailers to tell the whole story. Um, and just grab the best bits. And then when you go to the movies, you're like, oh, I got that all from the trailer. So I was a little bit apprehensive to go five minutes is a long time for a trailer. Like, what are you going to do? Um, but they perfectly mixed the, the like, the end of the world, like, you know, the big fight scenes. But mm. there was some good comedy in there too. And it also gave chance for dialogue between characters. And yeah. Nicole Kidman shook me. I was just like, oh, it's Nicole Kidman. Like, I keep what forgetting you she's – I'm like, when did you enter the superhero realm? <laughs> well, that's what Who I think. are you? I you were award-winning Oscar-winning like, exactly. actress that only does serious drama. Well, that's what it was. And that's what I was thinking because she kind of did have this moment where she was only kind of doing serious stuff like Big Little Lies. She was making some really good choices, but mm. it was just Nicole Kidman does serious stuff now. I mean, even if you say like Moulin Rouge, yeah. serious musical. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the thing. So it was watching her was hilarious. And then there's that moment where um, – they need water to... Um, oh, so Amber Heard, yeah, yeah. <laughs> playing Mira. <laughs> yeah, they need water to unlock this, like, labyrinth-like, puzzly kind of thing, which is always always happens in these kind of things. Always. And so, obviously, because Aquaman is there, how convenient, and she, like, grabs these, like, beads of sweat, <laughs> and it, like, unlocks it, and you see it, like, all these, like, it's like a little unlocking things happen so it's quite this one sets off another and it's quite an elaborate thing and then all you hear is like him go oh well if you needed water I could have just peed on it (laughs) (laughs) and it's I don't know what it is but I'm like that is perfect Momoa delivery and And that was the thing too because there is that moment where it's also like classic guy mentality as Mm -hmm. well like uh oh I could have peed on it if you just asked me so this is this is fine I mean I see a tree I pee on it (laughs) exactly and I was like and I am also not mad at like watching him like Momoa was beautiful he is a gorgeous man I forget how beautiful he is and how like strapping he is. It's just, I was like, of course, of course you will save the day because look at you. <laughs> I was like, if you were sitting on a train with me and something happened, mm. I would just look to you and be like, fix it. Cause I know that you can, you are the hero we all need and deserve. <laughs> and that's him with him, like without him being Aquaman. So I'm just saying, but you also got, um, at the very end, the reveal of him in the classic Aquaman costume, yes. like the orange top and the green pants. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I thought they weren't going to do that. But no. then it was just like, surprise, it's we're like, going to go. Here I am. But it just goes, does go to show like the underwater like fight scenes mm. are going to be intense. Like every man and his dog are in are mm. in those fights. And yeah, I think there's something weirdly, maybe it's just for me, um, underwater, which I just go, everything's more serious. Like if there's water involved, I was like, oh no, there's a part of me that goes, you won't be able to breathe. And I was like, they live down there. They're fine. But still like, oh. Well, it's funny you should say that because like James Wan, a couple, um, he was a director. He's an Australian guy who um, directed Fast and some of the Fast and Furious movies. Yeah. Um, but he was saying like, because it was established in um, Justice League that when Aquaman went down to visit Mira. They like kind of created a bubble 
so they like an air bubble where they could speak underwater and everyone's like are you gonna do that in this film and he's like oh god no they just speak underwater <laughs> i ain't doing that <laughs> he's like i'm uh, changing the canon <laughs> yeah like our special effects that's a lot of money to invent like a water bubble that they it's can it's like talk water in. bubble versus water battle yeah what would you Ooh, rather yeah. have <laughs> that, that. the movie is significantly shorter but they can talk underwater so mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like something that they could do also in our other plan yeah so it's fine but it's because it was like we're gonna do like all these explosions and all yeah. these battle scenes i was like i wonder how fast and furious it's gonna get <laughs> tokyo drift to- so yes underwater drift <laughs> yeah just dolphin drifting <laughs> my goodness how wild would that be <laughs> But it is from one of the posters that came out is mm. that you knew that, like, do you know that one where it's just like Aquaman in the middle and then just everything, <laughs> it's like every space that they had free around him, they put uh, some form of creature in there. Like three sharks, yeah. like a few dolphins, a couple of starfish, a few fish here. It was insane. It's a couple of turtles. And yeah. then I think, like, on Twitter, like, every, like people started, like, naming all the apps. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cam Williams, who writes for Popcorn Junkie, mm-hmm. um, he did. He made a thing where he literally gave every single character a name. It was, like, you know, Escape from Shark Tale and, like, from The Little Mermaid and then Sharky 1, Sharky then 2. Nemo. Bruce yeah. from Nemo. <laughs> and then these are the Spice, like, yeah. spice Girls. <laughs> yeah, the fishy Spice Girls. Oh. It really had it all. It really had it all. But, yeah, I was really impressed by the five minutes mm. and that it still looked good after five yeah. minutes. I'm just hoping it's not going to be too long of a film. Well, that's the other question, isn't it? DC have a history of doing like, we're going to stretch like two and a half hours. And you're just like, less is more. Yeah. Less is more. There is a real push towards the three hour film I'm feeling at the moment. Like, it doesn't work. Oh, I know. I I know. Like, I don't know if it's because it went really well back in the Lord of the Rings days. Yeah. But they were like proper epics. That were actually paced out yeah. very well, like the action. And that's the thing, never isn't it? Really it stopped. Yeah. While, you know, and then they try to do that again with the Hobbit, and you're like, this is like a four hundred yeah. page book. It doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. Yeah. Where, where are you getting this? What is happening? Yeah. This I, is just ridiculous now. And then, like, yeah. you know, a thirty minute fight scene. Wow. That's the thing. If you have a three hour film, mm. you have to, as you said, get the pacing right. It has to feel the whole way through the audience that it's not a three hour film because the moment things start to drag, it becomes so painfully obvious. Mm-hmm. And then, as an audience member, you become completely removed because you just go. If I was an editor, I could have cut that scene and 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 that scene. Like that scene had no point. And then you would have gone, it would have been down to like two hours. Like it was just really a bit of film wank happening. And they were like, no, keep it all. They will stay for three hours and they will love it. That's where you need Topher Grace to step in and do this. Maybe that's why they do it for so long because they're just like, wait, Topher's going to be in his garage somewhere. He's going to be there with his editing. He's going to get it down. He's going to get the Topher cut that he will never release. And everyone's like, but we need to watch it. Oh, my goodness. He could, like, seriously have his own business, like Mm. three-hour movies in ten minutes. He will go crazy. People would love that. So, so crazy. Do it for us, Topher. Um, But... More back on the TV sides of DC, um, we also had the Titans trailer. So mm-hmm. it looks pretty much the same to all the other trailers they released. So it's like, all right. But that's coming out in the sometime this month. Um, and yep. we'll be getting it on Netflix. So. Yes. 
Yeah, because that was the kind of common. There were a few Netflix releases too. Yeah. yeah. So Daredevil's yeah. also coming out this month. Um, yeah. So we'll see the return of Wilson Fisk as well as the introduction of Bullseye, which mm. looks quite interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did like Kingpin when he was like released from jail and just how angry he was. And yeah, that white suit. And it he, all was well, he was the. He was such a good villain in season one. Yeah. So it'd be really good to see him back mm. as well. And I think that the good thing about Kingpin is that mm. he's the most, this is going to sound terrible, achievable villain in the sense that like his superpower isn't something huge. It's just like he just really, it's like, he really, strength. yeah, exactly. He really wants something done. So he goes and does it. And he's obviously very muscular. He's a big imposing guy. Mm. And he just has this like unstoppable will that's like whatever he sets his mind to, even that if that means ruining your life, he's going to do it. Um, but Vincent D'Onofrio also has that really quiet oh, voice. Yeah. Quiet but loud and you're like, <laughs> It is one of those things that I think are is inherently scary. Like if someone's yelling in a big voice, you just don't take it seriously. But if, it, if they get quiet, then you're like, oh, they're really angry. Mm. And that's what he does so well. Mm. So, yeah. Winning. Winning. We also had the reveal of Ruby Rose's <gasps> costume as Batwoman. Ah, uh, yes. Like, she owns it. She, she looks so good in it. I know. It's like, it's one of those things where, I like, obviously superhero costumes are quite unforgiving. So, especially when you're Hat in nipples. it. Well, that's the thing. Like, you're just like, oh my goodness, it must be so stressful. And then to have that image everywhere. But I, like, if I was Ruby Rose, I would be freaking loving it because she looked so powerful. She looked cool. And then there was obviously the background of the dark cities. And there she was, like, right in the mm-hmm. center. And she totally and utterly looked the part, yeah. which the good news is, is going to shut up a lot of the haters who were giving her a lot of shit after it was announced and that she, she had to would quit play. Twitter. Exactly. Exactly. So you reckon she'll come back or will we, will we have to wait till the premiere of that? Of crossover oh. event when she first appears. Yeah, see, I think she'll come back. Yeah, I think she will. I think it's smart where she is right now in terms of like shutting it all up while there's only been little glimpses into her doing mm-hmm. it. So I'd understand her not wanting to, you know, <laughs> invite the child because it, it would be freaking annoying to have to. Yeah. Yeah. But then I think afterwards, because she was she was just so prolific on social media before. Like, yeah. I feel like that would be a sad Which is voice. a very outspoken, like, you know, yeah. member of the LGBTIQ and community. And that's, that's and another advoca- reason. Yeah. Advocacy. And then, you know, once Orange is the New Black, she yeah. was in that. Everyone's like, who is she? <laughs> exactly. And that's why I think if nothing else, the platform that social media has for her to keep doing it. Mm. I think, like, right now she's done what is would be the smart thing for her to do and that is to protect herself while people are still giving her shit for who knows what reason. Um, but then she'll obviously come out, prove them all wrong, then she'll go back to, you know, doing her and mm. people can just go eat their words. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope so indeed. But Tali, there was a certain someone that was also wandering around the floors of Comic-Con. He's a very special man. I'm sorry I'm not J.J. Abrams. They say, oh, Taika, we wish we called you J.J. Abrams. Taika Waititi. We found a way to talk about him. This is why I'm laughing so much because we've got, oh, we've got no Taika news. And we're like, yes, we do. We (laughs) have the weekly Waititi. (laughs) Oh, my God, the weekly Waititi. (laughs) Why is that not the grab? 
Um, yes, he was. He was there, naturally, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other news that we were quite excited by yep. is we were talking about The Mandalorian. Was it last week, the week yeah, before? Yeah, so last week um, they released the first look at The Mandalorian mm. from – it's a new live-action streamed Star Wars series. Yeah. Um, and they released the director list um, for that, which he was one of them. Yes, and we understandably got very excited <laughs> – What's well, that tick? Why TT news? Yes. Yes. Oh, Taika in the Star Wars universe. Um, Why? Thank yes. you. It's going to be amazing. Um, but news this week that mm. we then got excited about is that him and director Bryce Dallas Howard will not only direct episodes of the show, but da da da, they're also rumored to have roles in the show as well. Ooh. Which means we're going to see his face on the screen. His beautiful face. Are we? Yes, we didn't well, see him in Cor- in Thor Ragnarok. He was a rock alien <laughs> that was um, with Sophie. a CGI'd face. <laughs> Sophie, yes, we are going to see his face. <laughs> I am putting it out into the universe that we will see his beautiful face. He, what are the, what are they saying he's going to play? He is. They say he's going to play a droid. So we're going to see his beautiful face <laughs> as a droid. <laughs> We're gonna see his beautiful face <laughs> as a droid. <laughs> um, but the, they're saying that the, he won't have a lead role, so it might be a rock supporting role. This is <laughs> this is where it's at, um, and we don't know what the extent of their roles will be. May not be a recurring character, but all we know mm. is that Taika Waititi will be both on screen and off screen, and that's just like the more Waititi, the better. We love the YTT. We love the YTT. I think we need to have a break then. Yes. Ooh, so much New York Comic Con news. But if you're in Sydney this week, the Sci-Fi Film Festival is kicking off on Wednesday. And contributor uh, Kevin Suarez spoke to the festival director, Simon Foster, about what we can expect. Uh, it's your first time as uh, the film festival a director here at the Sci-Fi Film Festival. So what is it that you want to achieve? Oh, gee, leading with the big questions. Okay, so um, in real terms, we need to achieve uh, ticket growth. We need to achieve bums on seats. We're um, in the fifth year of the festival. I was brought on board to uh, move the festival forward significantly, both in terms of the films we're programming and in terms of its sort of position in the the film festival landscape um i guess in more sort of ethereal terms i'm trying to achieve um a very strong name for the brand as a festival that uh brings fresh exciting new um but also commercially and critically acclaimed films to the sydney audience um and then in the years ahead move into to interstate markets so Yes, there's there's a, a growth plan in place for the the Sydney season, um, but there's also like you know we've got we're looking further down the track as well to take science fiction to a wider audience. And uh, sci-fi is a pretty broad genre. So, what range of sci-fi films are you going to be making available at the uh, festival? Well, you're right. It is very broad. I've spent the last ten, nearly eleven months um, watching films from all over the world, and science fiction is. A lot of different things to a lot of different filmmakers and to a lot of different audiences. Um, we have a, the premiere of a film on Saturday night called Reflections in the Dust, which is a uh, by Luke uh, Sullivan, a young Australian director. Um, 
he has crafted this uh, very European, very bleak sort of dystopian future. It's basically a two-hander. The extraordinary Sarah Hubolt is starring in it. Uh, Robin Royce Queer is, is plays her father. Um, and it's a very sort of uh, intense. Uh, fans of the genre know that the name Tarkovsky, and when that is sort of conjured up, we're thinking the very bleak sort of Russian science fiction cinema. Um, and, and Reflections in Dust sort of borrows heavily from that it's an extraordinary film um and then at the other end of the spectrum we've got the more commercial stuff on the friday night we've got like an alien invasion double feature um at six o'clock the return of gillian anderson to the to the um uh, science fiction alien conspiracy genre with a film called ufo which is the australian premiere and the only um local cinema screening that film's getting and then at 8 30 a film called canaries which is a welsh alien invasion film um, very much in the shorn of the dead mold so and and there's all sorts of stuff in between i I guess the short film program which is on at one o'clock on the sunday afternoon the 21st um that just runs the gamut of big spectacular sort of outer space adventures for those that like the, the you know the star wars type of films all the way down to the the darker sort of films um uh, those who can be here is one film we've got, which is about a a future where music has been banned and a young man discovers a Walkman and, and and sort of rejuvenates people's love for music. So there's the music video aesthetic. There's a an extraordinary steampunk film called Manavel, The Last Days of the Man of Tomorrow, which is about a um, a, a robot that was given to the people of Lebanon by the people of France, and it's how um it, it has lived the last fifty years in Lebanon. So there's a huge range of films to see at the festival, which is exactly what I tried to do when I was programming it. You did mention earlier that there was a film with Gillian Anderson in it, which I think a lot of people may be appealed by because obviously it has a sort of X-Files connotation to it. So would you say that it is fairly similar to what she's done on the X-Files or more sort of political thrillery, sort of like what she's been doing on the BBC recently? It's an interesting film because it's a, it's a smaller scale film. She plays a university professor in it. Um, uh, and I guess it's very similar to the, the Matthew Broderick from War Games from back in in the 80s in that it's about a young man who's also a mathematical genius and when a UFO is sighted at the Cincinnati airport he uses um, mathematic formula to determine how the uh, the authorities are lying about the the, the, the sighting um, and then to uncover the truth behind it so Gillian Anderson plays sort of a mentor figure in that which is a nice touch for her um, 25 years which is extraordinary when I think about it after the um, the X-Files first started she returns um, to this for the first time, I don't know the backstory to it as to why this fairly small sort of um, almost independent style thriller attracted her. Um, certainly it's a strong sort of mature part for her, um, but for her to return to the, the, the fold is, is great to see. And she clearly has a good time making this film. We tend to lag behind the other countries, especially the US and the UK, in terms of a famous blockbuster or just well-known or highly regarded quality sci-fi films. So, but what kind of homegrown films will we be seeing at this festival? That's true to a certain extent. Um, this year we've had Occupation come into cinemas, which was the, the, the Queensland shot film, which did very well, and it was very much in the, the blockbuster American sort of science fiction mould. But generally speaking, yeah, you're right, we don't have the budgets, we don't have the... Um, we certainly have the talent for it. I mean, our, our special effects teams are making movies all over the world. Um, like Animal Logic. And, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
So in terms of the, the, the programming within the Festival of Australian Films, we've got a short film called Thalamos, which is from the two Melbourne guys, um, Andrew Jacksh and Scotty Robson, um, made on next to no budget, but it looks sensational. It's already travelling around the world. It goes straight from our festival to the Berlin Sci-Fi Film Fest. Um, and we've got a documentary called My Saga, which is the story of Adam Harris. He was diagnosed with a brain tumour, um, and decided to live his life to his fullest with his young son, which for him meant travelling to the uh, a Star Wars Comic Con type convention, a fan convention in the US, to experience to share his obsession with Star Wars with his son. Um, and your mate and mine, Mark Fennell, is going to do the Q and A for that session afterwards with Adam and the cast and crew. So um, that's a very moving and and very interesting film as it talks of the way uh, fan culture and fandom. Um, is so heartfelt and so passionate, which is, of course, what we're sort of appealing to with this festival. Um, and Adam's documentary conveys that. And moving on to the closing night, with many of these festivals, the, the films are usually those that have been produced in the last year or two. So how come you decided to play a film from the 80s on oh. closing night? <laughs> Miracle Mile. <laughs> because I'm old, and that film <laughs> is a film that I love. Um, it barely got any sort of cinema release when it played, uh, when it was released out in back in 19... It was actually shot in 88 and sort of given a, a very perfunctory release in 1989. Um, the director, Steve Dejarnay, made two films, Cherry 2000 and Miracle Mile. Um, and with Miracle Mile, he really um, captured the nuclear paranoia of the time, but encased it in this uh, really beautiful love story. Um, it's uh, For anyone who doesn't know the premise, Anthony Edwards picks up a telephone ringing outside a diner late at night, and on the end is the young man's voice screaming, we launched, Dad, we had to launch. And, and Anthony Edwards says, no, you've got the wrong number. And he's screaming, is this my father? We had to launch. Um, and from that point on, it's Anthony Edwards' journey through the night as the realisation that somewhere in the world a nuclear war is about to befall them. So um, it's an extraordinarily powerful film. I'm getting a bit goose pimply sort of just describing it. I remember the first time I saw it. Um, and uh, and Steve Dejarnay, the young director, who, like I said, he went on to write a couple of X-Files episodes. He's a lecturer now. He was so thrilled that this film is finally finding um, an audience. And I was just so excited to um to bring it to the festival. I should point out the opening night film, Johan Lerf's Star, which is a compilation of night skies and galaxies from the beginning of cinema up until the start of this year, that he's compiled in like a montage documentary and Miracle Mile were the first two films that I programmed as part of this festival. Um, I saw Star over in Rotterdam back in February and I knew straight away that any festival that celebrates science fiction and celebrates cinema had to have this film um, involved. It's a bit of a risk because it's literally 550 clips <laughs> from, from the silent era up until this year, but it's an amazingly in, um, involving and very emotional film to watch at times. Um, right through to Miracle Mile, which just, uh, just had to be part of my festival. Yeah, but Miracle Mile sounds like something that would still resonate with audiences nowadays. I think that's why it's finding sort of freshness. It's it's, it's being re-energised by um, the sort of razor's edge that this world is living on at the moment, where there, there seems to be someone hovering over the, the red button, um, unlike there's been since, you know, since back in the 80s. Um, as I said, I'm old enough to remember the very real threat um, that was that was the nuclear um, scare of the 80s. And uh, I, can, I can feel that coming about in modern society. And I think Miracle Mile speaks directly to that, as well as being like a really thrilling, involving sort of romantic thriller as well. 
And one final question. The festival also highlights films made by women in the industry. Uh, has there been much of an issue in getting women in key position roles for sci-fi films specifically? Probably, no. You're right to say that we've got um, 65% of our films have a woman in one of the four key creative positions, which is the um, uh, sort of barometer, the criteria that Screen Australia um, set for that. That was totally by chance. I just found myself reacting more to narratives um, about women and by women. Um, Our uh, Saturday night film, a film called Prospect, which is about a, a young girl who is sent into outer space to do prospecting and suddenly finds herself torn between two very sort of diabolical father figures. Um, in terms of women in the industry, uh, they're certainly being granted more opportunities now than they have, have ever been. Still an extraordinarily tough struggle. Um, I saw a lot of films during the submission process that were basically, you know, young men lying on their beds trying to have relationships with their phones. The the, the if I saw if I saw one more film open with, you know, someone talking to his computer or talking to his phone, I thought, oh, here we go again. Um, so that's and although not all of them were great films, um, certainly the the role of robotics and and AI technology um, is predominant throughout a lot of the science fiction films, um, both by men and women. Um, Try and see a film called Andromeda. It's screening as part of the short film section on Sunday the 21st at 1 o'clock, uh, directed by Emily Lemundin, who's um, uh, an American-Australian um, female director who's worked on some of the big animated films uh, animated films out of Sydney. Um, she's made this wonderful, uh, very dark sort of AI story. So the talent is certainly there. Um, it's coming to the fore more than ever. You mentioned Animal Logic earlier. Their head yeah. of production is a woman. Um, and there's a lot of you know very important positions throughout the industry that are held by women. Um, they just need to be more of them. Well, thanks for your time. My pleasure, mate. Some exciting stuff happening yeah. there. I'll have to go check it out. Mm. From this Wednesday. Wednesday. Natalie. Yeah. Somebody got the sacking earlier this year. They did. From a very big franchise and not many people were very happy about it. People were angry. Very angry. But the good news, he's back. Who are we talking about? James Gunn. Of course we are. No one could get, like, in terms of people getting sad and then excited and then sad and excited. But it was like... Sad, disappointed yep. at his behaviour yeah. as well. Yeah, so it was like, yeah, sad, disappointed, then going, apology, oh, we're all right. Mm. But then going, will Disney bring him back? No, they won't. No. But then go, I think, I, to be honest, I think most fans were going, He'll, he's he's going to turn up somewhere somewhere else. It's not like he would have just stepped away from Hollywood altogether. No, he's he doesn't seem to be, I mean, from what we've seen from me too, yep. like, Men who do crap things, they bounce back pretty quickly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and on the scale of Me Too things, that his wasn't that terrible. Yeah. And it, like in, in yeah, because it wasn't like he wasn't no Harvey Weinstein no, who was continually wasn't. doing. It was like some tweets that he had posted quite a while ago. And so. It was just being a troll. Yeah, exactly. And not saying being a troll, troll is, is all, right, all right. But yeah, it was just not, I think, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> so he left the Guardian. Of, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, I, 
you can't defend someone no, who did that. But I then at the same time, this his behavior happened. wasn't great. But he was yeah. like, "Look, I've made massive changes to my life, so I stopped being that person." And yeah. you're like, "All his cast and crew all seem to be quite giddy with him." Yeah. So yeah. It was, yeah. I mean, Dave Bautista was like, I'm walking off Guardians if he doesn't come back. Yeah, yeah. And that was the thing. And so, like, when he left the Guardians of the Galaxy, people were like, oh, what's going to happen? What's going on? Yeah, well, what is happening with three? Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe that solves our problem. Um, but he is now in talks to write and direct Suicide Squad 2. Really? Suicide Squad 2, yeah. They're making another Suicide Squad. <laughs> of course they are. The first one was awful. My brother watched them play and said it was awful. It was on TV the other night and he watched it again and he's like, it's still bad. I'm like, you've already watched it. Why did you watch it again if you knew it was awful? I think the only thing that really came out of the first Suicide Squad um, was Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn and Mm. just like Halloween, just everyone dressing Mm -hmm. up as her. Like really, that was really it. I think in terms of like if you say Suicide Squad to most people, even if they haven't watched it, they would go... Margot Robbie and Jared Leto. Oh, and then they, they that, would... and then they want to do that Joker spin-off uh... film. And didn't they cast like Alec Baldwin? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but Alec Baldwin can only be on Thirty Rock. Like that's the only <laughs> he's forever typecast in my mind. It, but yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But Jared Leto, no, he was a weird one. Like yeah. sending them like his yeah. cast members like dead rats. Yeah, like out of holy things to do. I feel like he's higher on the scale yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, let's just, well, I would suppose he would be back for Suicide Squad too. You yeah. would think. Probably. But then this is maybe the other thing, like Suicide mm. Squad 1, terrible, but James Gunn at the helm of 2 might be redeemable. Hope so. Maybe. Your face looks like it might be otherwise. I'm just being optimistic, obviously. <sighs> well, I feel like he did so well on Guardians because, you know, Marvel at the time and mm. Disney kind of stepped back and they're just like, we trust your vision. Uh, where DC is going to be more like, no, do this. No, do I this. I feel like the DC and like with the whole Scott Snyder, they're very intertwined with his vision and yeah. it's just like, all right. Uh, and then it's like, mm. Yeah. You, you, I feel like they tend to like step in a bit more. <laughs> yeah. So they don't have the same creative freedom to yeah. interpret mm. what might be there. It's like, make it darker. Uh, make it darker. One more darkness. I'm just so dark. <laughs> Everything must be dark like Batman. Because Batman's so dark. <laughs> and that's exactly what the DC meetings sound like. Thank you, Sophie. <laughs> What a great reenactment. Dark, dark, dark. They don't even turn the lights on when they go to the meetings. It's just them sitting in darkness. I want the film to be exactly like this room. Well, they're all just talking like Batman's like voice. Oh, yeah. Like, and then someone will like respond in a Bane voice. <laughs> why, do I, why do our audiences not like our movies? I don't know. Maybe it's our meetings. <laughs> They're getting a bit crazy, guys. Mm. I think we should just go back to the PowerPoints and the, turning the lights on. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe listening to the audience and what they want. I don't know. Crazy. Crazy. What? Crazy. I mean, listen to the audience, but don't listen to them too much because they do yeah. get it wrong. Yeah. yeah. Because Look. the audience wants sometimes too much. And when you mm. try to deliver too much, it yeah. fails like Spider-Man 3. Oh. Well, I think that that's... That was from yeah. listening to 
audience go, I want this villain, this villain, this villain. They're yeah. like, we'll give you them all. <laughs> well, and that's what I think that the problem is, is that at sometimes I don't think that they realise that that's just not going to work. It's mm. too much stuff that at times conflicts within each other just because they're both there and mm. you're going, oh, I have to give screen time to this and I have to do this and do yeah. that. That it's like, of course that wasn't going to work. But then everyone's going, but we've pleased our audience base, but you really haven't. haven't because you've just you've, pleased the vocal ones. You've pleased the vocal ones, but you've delivered a story with no plot line. Yeah. <laughs> and at some point when you're watching a movie, you have to have a plot. So people go, mm, I know what the narrative is. <laughs> I don't know. Crazy. Crazy. Who would have thunk it? Who so would have thunk crazy. it indeed? Vitaly. Yeah. A woman fell to earth this week. She did. And it was amazing. And talking about plots and narratives in a segue that happened after you've already segued, <laughs> like the natural segue that that is, yeah. is that what we've learned too about the new Doctor Who is that the episodes are going to be like standalone episodes. There, mm. there isn't going to be the running narrative that we are used to in terms of the, you know, they're going to follow on. These are kind of going to be standalones and the only really real running narrative is the friendship that the Doctor has with her three companions and I'm not mad at that. I'm not. I mean, when they kind of first introduced that, they was like, oh, this is new and actually... Mm oh, how this ties in with this. This is actually yep. really interesting. Mm. And then they got too self-involved. And it was just yeah. like, it was really hard for people who've never seen Doctor Who to get to into it. come into it and be like, like what's going what's on? What's going yeah. on? I don't understand because yeah. you're just talking canon to me. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, I have to go back and watch all those episodes to understand what this is now. Yeah, yeah the good thing about this is, I think that that was one of the things about casting a female Doctor is that they wanted to bring new audiences to Doctor Who. Well, they were really aiming for young girls yeah. in this one because they're yeah. like, I mean, it's always been part of the ba- like a fan base, but they're like, we want to elevate yeah. them yeah. as well. And I guess that is another way to do it, to mm. attract more fans to the show, is to have standalone episodes. So you can just go, oh, I'll watch this and go, oh, I actually really like that. I'll come back next week for the next episode. Mm. Um, but I really liked the episode. I think Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor is just perfect. Like what she does is it's very like it's, she plays the parallels very well. So she could like, there's a cockiness there, but it's mm-hmm. not an arrogant cockiness. It's a confident, it's a, like, it's a laughing. It's, there were many times where just she is, yeah, she's just delightful and mm-hmm. it's all looking and it's all very like, there's a realness to it. I feel obviously, cause it is set in like earth. So that set in obviously earth. helps. In North England. Yeah. In the city of Sheffield. Exactly. Well, I think that that's the thing is it does help the relatability-ness of it that mm. you just go, oh, and these she's are a native, people. She's a native Yorkshireian? Yorkshireian? What do, you, what do you call them? Yor- I don't know. Yorkie? <laughs> Maybe it is a Yorkie. A Yorkshireian just sounds very, I don't know, proper. And real. Right. <laughs> Doesn't and right. sound very northern, does it? <laughs> um, but I really liked the episode. I liked her companions. I think that as the episode, like obviously as the series goes on, mm. the bond between them will be really interesting. And they kind of all know each other. So we met Ryan first. Yep. Um, and then we met his grandparent. Well, it his was his grandma, Grace. 
and who then is, who was bloody delightful. Oh, she was my favorite. I was quite upset at the end. Do you know what? So we meet Ryan, um, and he's doing this YouTube kind of show to a show, and he's like, "Yeah, so I've been dealing with this something, so you know that something's going on." And then it kind of just cuts to him trying to learn how to ride a bike, and this is like a twenty-year-old man, mm. and his grandma Grace is like doing the quintessential bike helping, like a you, you can, can do, do it. it, you can ride. And he was supposed to ride to effectively his step-granddad, Graham, yep. who he doesn't like. And won't refuse to call grandpa, which I'm like, oh, yeah, that's yeah, fair. That probably, you only met him a couple of years ago, that's why. Like, Grace, you only married him three years ago. Your grandson is an adult. He is never calling him granddad. <laughs> exactly. And so I think that in the setup, because that is like mm. like the first scene of the show mm. is explaining Ryan has dyspraxia, which is a fine motor like coordination disorder. Right. Um, and there is a passing moment where Grace, the grandma, says to Graham, like, you know, he has dyspraxia, which I think for a lot of people who suffer from dyspraxia, that would have been this huge, like... Twitter went yeah, crazy on yeah. it because they were like, I have it. Yeah. And it's, like, it is stuff like, this, like you know, representation. uses, like, you know, more complicated, coordinated yeah. things that I really struggle with. And yeah. they were like... Absolutely, absolutely. So then what happens is Ryan throws his bike off the hill because he falls off the bike. And then his grandma Grace and Graham were like, well, you can go retrieve that because we're getting on the train back home, so Mm -hmm. bye. And it's when he goes down to retrieve the bike that he unknowingly unlocks a portal (laughs) to the other world and invites them to come to Earth because there is an alien who is trying to track a poor kid. And then that, so we've already got the connection between Ryan, Graham, who then become two of the doctor's friends, and then he rings the police. And the person who answers is Yaz, as her friends call her, who actually went to school with Ryan. Mm. So they all kind of know Know each each other. And then like Nan Grace is like, oh, you've done well for yourself. It's like, oh my gosh, you've grown up with these people. Yeah, exactly. But it's the right sense of peripheral know each other. So Mm. it's not like super intimate because... Then the sad thing, and this is what I realized because, like, Grace is delightful, like, the whole way through. And then you, like, we all knew before the episode that the doctor has three friends, and their names are Ryan, Yaz, and Graham. And you're just like, what happens to Grace? What happens to Grace? Grace. Yeah. So, Uh, and when you watch Grace, she's like, she is so delightful in this. She's having the so much fun, and you're like, we need her on the TARDIS. Well, and Where is she going? Yeah, and that was the Are thing. Are they just going to dump her at home? Yeah. Well, that was the thing <laughs> is that she was so kick-ass. And so there was this thing where you go, oh, maybe she doesn't. Like, she just decides I don't want to be a part of it. And you, Or it's but, like, is she going to chuck a Jackie? Well, that was the thing. But instead, she was just like head on into all challenges. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is fun. I'm loving it. This is so great. And this is what was really, really delightful. And the more excited Grace got, the more excited I got. And then the little voice in the back of my head was like, she's not going to make it. She's not going to make it. And then I was like, don't die. Don't die. Is that- no, this is it. She's still alive. Don't, don't, don't. Spoilers. Then, <laughs> yeah. And then I'm just going to say, mm. I'm just going to say, she like we already know that she's not one of the companion friends, yeah. and I'm just going to say she would have made a great one. She would have been bloody amazing. She really would have. But I think overall, for a, the first episode as the Doctor, mm. Jodie Whittaker owned it, and then some. Like, I think she will definitely bring new audiences. A lot to of the people show. were saying she was like the new favorite Doctor already. Yeah, yeah, and. 
she's like this perfect mix of all the previous doctors so far. Yeah. Like she's fun, but she's also a bit sarcastic. Yeah. Um, but you know, she's it's, she's very energetic as yeah. well. And I think they missed that a little bit yeah. for a while. There was, there's was... a certain enthusiasm that she has as the doctor that you can obviously tell that she's gonna get stuff done. Mm. And like that's like some of the dialogue that she says, like if I see someone who needs help, I'm gonna help them. And mm. it's that enthusiasm that you just go, Oh, that's so great. And also side note, imagine being that smart that you could just build things like <laughs> building a new Sonic. And it's I just love like, the mishmash what her new sonic screwdriver is. It's It's been literally melted down from, like, stainless steel cutlery that they find in a Sheffield, like, warehouse. Yeah. And Sheffield's, like, a big, like, they're big manufacturing cities. So yeah. they, like, manufacture steel. And she's just, like, gone and melted down some spoons to make into her sonic screwdriver. And I love that when she's explaining it to her new little earth friend, she's like, it's like a Swiss army knife, but without the knife function. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So so I think it's just going to be really, really fun, this yeah. new series. Yeah. And can't wait for the next night. Yes, Monday. Monday Get excited. First on Avenue at 6 a.m. if you're a weirdo like me. Oh, see, I'm already at work at 6 a.m. <laughs> it's even sadder. <laughs> even sadder. Let's just watch it while you're like. <laughs> yeah. It's like someone's trying to call. He's like, no, sorry, I'm watching the doctor. I can't answer the phone right now. I was like, given the state of current federal politics, I don't think you can just kind of tune out. Next thing you know, we'll just have a new prime minister. (laughs) One can hope. One can wish for it. But yeah, no, really, really fun stuff. Loving it. Do you know what else is fun? What? People in drag slash burlesque who dress up as your favourite geeky characters. It's one of those things that you don't know how much you love it until you see it and then you go, how come this wasn't in my life before? <laughs> like, what what has been happening that that – and it just, like, is so obviously a given too, like, of how great it is. So there's an American drag queen. Um, they're known as Florida Man. Mm-hmm. And their main act is dressing up as Lord Voldemort from Harry Potter. Naturally. 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 Well, I mean, when you look at people who, like, you know, have a certain stage presence, Mm -hmm. like, no one wants to mess with them. There's definitely, I think, a bit of respect that Lord Voldemort gets. Mm -hmm. Like, why would you not want to translate that onto the drag stage? Of course. And so this... Drag performer, they are, you know, dressed in these flowy Voldemort robes. Yes. Um, high Called, boots and yep. fishnet stockings. Yeah. The Voldemort mask. So, you know, no nostrils, yep. bald head. Yeah. Fierce. 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 Yep. Fierce look. Yeah. And then... They bloody well danced to Ariana Grande's Dangerous Woman. Which is obviously the song you do dance to if you are going to, like, if you are Voldemort. And I love that her character is called Lady Voldemort. Like, mm-hmm. uh-huh, get your thing done. Lady Voldemort, she who cannot be tamed. She, I love that so much because, of course, Voldemort was he who could not be named. 
she who could not be tamed is just every part of the fierceness that lends itself so well to drag. Oh, and you know, they start off in the rose and then they strip off into a leotard. So if you ever wanted to know what Voldemort looks in a leotard, just look up Lady Voldemort. It is gorgeous. The deep problem about it that I find is I don't think I can now watch Lord Voldemort (laughs) in the movie without thinking that he's got like fishnet stockings and a leotard underneath his robes. Oh, and he's like um, padding really well as well. (laughs) The first part of the reveal where he comes out and he's dancing and it's just like the suggestive, here it is, here's my butt cheek, but which you can tell is just all padding and, you know, (laughs) fishnet stocking. But the crowd goes wild. Mm. I think I even gave out a, yes, you get it. You've got it. I mean, we didn't see this live, but we're just going, yes, at our our phone screen. Yeah. Like, oh. But the thing was, quite a lot of people liked it because mm-hmm. it was very popular on Twitter. And mm-hmm. so much so that, like, SBS wrote an article about Oh, it's it going too. viral. So that is the it's, thing. Yeah, And I love that they brought out a little Harry doll to do a little strip. <laughs> and then they have, like, a wand battle, like, in the final battle of Hogwarts. Using some very well placed, like, you know, flashing yeah. lights where the wands would be. Oh my goodness. I am oh. a big fan of drag queens fixing everything. Like, mm-hmm. they can fix the world. They can fix, well, not that like Harry Potter needed fixing, but that is taking it to a whole new level. I, I think mean, that she made um, Voldemort more approachable, mm, more absolutely. funny. And like, you know, when at. In uh, the US Pride Month, um, we saw Dancing Hermione. Oh, my God. Who was just voguing and death dropping left, right and centre. It just, it still amazes me how great that was. And it's one of those things that obviously keeps getting shared on social media feeds. Mm. So it just keeps coming up. And every time it's in it, I watch it. (laughs) I've now seen it so many times. But it's, do you know how you get to think where you go, oh, I've watched it. I don't need to see it again. And you're just like, no, no, that makes me happy. I'm going to watch it again. I'm watching it. Why, thank you. Thank you, Dancing Hermione. You are the hero we all needed. Absolutely. Thoughts. Collaboration between Lady Voldemort and Dancing Hermione. Oh. Oh, I see what you did there. Mm. It'd be so weird because Hermione is muggle-born, mm-hmm. which adds a certain next level to the drama. Right? Who she'll be win? like She'll be battling him and there'll be like a total Vogue-off. <gasps> I was also like, yeah, who would win? What would the song be? It'd be like a proper ball. It would be totally. Then we, I think we. Clearly, I've been watching a lot of Pose. <laughs> also, like, we need more Harry Potter characters in drag. So, if yeah. you know Cosplay more. Cosplay drag queens. Yeah, exactly. If you know more people, send us the links. We will watch them. <laughs> Probably more than is necessary. If you want to go viral, just Sophie and I alone. <laughs> just us. With all our devices. You know, 500 views definitely from the both of us. Yes. Yeah. But like, what has happened? It's weird. All the views are coming from the same room. It's just it's us. like unique <laughs> views, just two. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. But I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad at it. Not at all. Yeah. Um, Tali, thank you for another gaggle of geeks. Why, thank you, Surfy Lie.
Um, it is Supporter Drive on 2SER. So if you mm. love this podcast and what we do on the station, do support. Just head to 2SER.com. Or you can also call up on 9514-9500 and leave a little monetary donation. A money. A little bit of dollar. A bit of Make dollar. it rain. We can keep making this podcast yes. and talking about all things geek and pop culture and how ridiculous and fun they are. Yes. Yeah. Throw some money at us. <laughs> Not literally. No. no. Notes don't hurt as much, FYI, when you're making donations, <laughs> if you want to throw them. <laughs> I never understood that with, like, you know, you watch Magic Minds, like, all dollars, like, dollar notes. And it's like, how does that work in Australia? Because I ain't giving yeah. away my $5 notes. Well, and that's the thing. Like, if you throw $2 at someone, that could be assault. Like, <laughs> those coins are hard. They hurt. Our yeah. coins are really heavy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so that's why you should only donate notes. <laughs> Or just a bank transfer. <laughs> oh, yeah, look, that's easier. That is so much easier. Tap, ping, done. <laughs> How efficient. So efficient. But, Dali, thanks again. We'll catch you next week for more Gaggle of Geeks. You will indeed. Bye. Bye.